So the big question is, what does the Bible actually teach about fasting? So this morning we'll look a little bit at what did the Old Testament say in, uh, in that. Uh, what are the examples in the New Testament and the Gospels? Why was there a conflict with Jesus and the Pharisees and John the Baptist's disciples? And what impact does fasting have on us as a church today? So let's uh, look at the Bible. First thing we've got to realise is that Jesus fasted. So we find there in Matthew chapter 4 that he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights before he starts his ministry. And in Mark chapter 2, which we'll look at later, it assumes that uh, Jesus' disciples would also fast at some stage. Now, as we look at fasting, the first thing we've got to be very clear is there's not a single New Testament commandment saying you must fast. And in fact, even if in the Old Testament, the Jews were only commanded to fast one day a year, and that day was the Day of Atonement. So in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 27, it says, Celebrate the Day of Atonement. You must observe it for a holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves. Now, I went through a whole of uh, different Bibles to say, what does that deny yourself? That was the ESV. So what are the wordings that some of the others use? Humble yourself. Afflict yourself. Practice self-denial. Everyone must go without eating to show sorrow for their sins. So what is fasting? Fasting is voluntarily giving up either food or something else for the sake of God. So fasting has a spiritual, practical purpose. So when people say, oh, I'm fasting to lose weight, you say, that's just a diet thing. That's not a, a biblical fast and dieting are not the same thing. Now, the Bible does mention different types of fasting. The first is that sometimes people would go without certain foods. We see Daniel in chapter 1, that uh, he went with different foods as served at the royal court that he chose not to have. And I love my friends who are Orthodox because about 200 days a year of fast days. And on their fast days, they can't have kebabs and meat. That's why you have hummus, tabbouleh and falafel, because that's a fast food. I love hummus, tabbouleh and falafel. I think it's great. And uh, so they have days of feasting and days of fasting, days of reflection and days of blessing. Now, other times, like in Daniel chapter 10, he actually gave up all food. He fasted from eating anything. There are some rare occasions where you give up fasting, where you give up food and water, and that's in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and Acts 9, 9. And the last type of fasting is an interesting one, where a husband and wife may abstain from having sex for a predetermined time to focus on prayer. So that's 1 Corinthians 7, 5 and Exodus 19, 15. And with different types of fasting in mind, how you to fast greatly will depend on what type of fasting that you choose. And the big thing about fasting, and especially in our culture, fasting is so countercultural to our modern society. Our modern society is very self-gratification, very self-love, very me first, very now. And fasting is where you say, I'm going to go without, not go with. And it's actually a time of reflection. And as you fast, you regularly get hungry. And you say to yourself, I'd like to eat something now. And you say, no, not for another six hours. Now, what is fasting? Fasting is taking the focus off ourself and putting our focus onto God that has a spiritual dimension. Uh, so why do people fast? Because they believe it's a way that helps them to grow in their faith with God. Now let's turn to our passage this morning that Ed read to us. So Mark chapter 2 verse 18. And looks at two other groups. John the Baptist and his disciples fasted. We don't know how they fasted or what days they chose to fast. But the Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday. Now that was not an Old Testament command. That's something they invented. Because the Old Testament had one day a year. They're doing it twice a week. They're doing 100 days a year. And you've got to say, why were they doing it? 
So it says in verse 18, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to Jesus, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your Pharisees do not fast? Now, I think this is a very, very good question that people ask Jesus and his disciples. Why? Because Jesus was under the microscope. They knew that a whole things he said was so radically different to the Pharisees. Jesus would preach and people would say, I have never heard anybody speak with such authority. I loved hearing his words. They were like honey to my ears. I came away excited with what he's saying. See, fasting should be a passionate desire to serve God. Now, the Pharisees doing it twice a week had made it into legalism. Now, the other big thing about the Bible, when it talks about fasting, it's nearly every single time linked to repentance, seeking God, desiring to do his will, and prayer. It is seen very much as a spiritual component. Fasting is nearly always linked to prayer. So what does it mean for fasting? Will you use your eating times as prayer times? Will you use your fasting as a way to train you in self-control of other areas of your life? The money that you save by not buying food, will you use that money to help the poor? Will you use that money for charity? There's a delightful story that in, uh, when the church hit Korea, a lot of the farmers were exceptionally poor. They had no money to give to the church. So a lot of them would sell their rice crop and go and buy wheat, which was cheaper, and eat wheat instead of rice. And then the difference between the wheat and the rice money, they would donate to ministry. Very, very powerful message for you and I. And we go back to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, verses 18 to 22. We have three illustrations using pairs of things that do not mix. And they're all pointing to the truth that the old Judaism, the old way of the Pharisees, even the way of John the Baptist and his disciples, was old news. Jesus and his gospel was fresh and new. So Jesus is not just a branch of the Pharisees. He was a brand new, fresh look at life. When the first Presbyterians and people like John Calvin started, if you went to a Catholic church and then to a Reformed church, you could just see massive differences. Yes, there's so many things in common, but there's all these whispers to you that were quite different. In the time of the Reformation, the Catholic Church was very much caught up in legalism about what you must do. The Reformed Church was very much caught up in what Jesus has done for you. The focus of a Reformed Church is what is Jesus doing, not what we are trying to do to get God's attention. So we find here that as believers, it's easy to create a to-do list for ourselves where Jesus' focus is not a to-do list for us, but a done list for him. With Jesus, everything is changing. So we find uh, early in Mark's Gospel, he goes and heals a man who's paralysed, but he then says to the man, your sins are forgiven. Now the people who are watching this said, only God can forgive sin. What is Jesus doing? Why did he say that? You can see the conversations that would have happened after him doing it. Now, controversy of healing this man. Now, Jesus provoked more controversy because he's observed eating with sinners. And everybody knew the right type of person that you should eat with. And Jesus wasn't doing that. He and his disciples now face criticising for not fasting. Now, criticism is probably accentuated because he's just gone to Matthew, the tax collector's house, and eaten with him and all Matthew's friends. 
who were the, the massive list of all the wrong people that Jesus should have hung with. Now, after Jesus uh, is at Matthew with his disciples, everyone's kind of thinking, what are you doing here? Why did you eat with Matthew? And Jesus says this in Mark 6, uh, 2.16. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Powerfully good question, because they're all thinking, you're a godly person. What are you doing? What does Jesus say? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I've come to call the righteous but sinners. Now, next week we're looking at the whole controversy what Jesus faced with the Sabbath. Once more, the idolatry of the Sabbath was so much part of the Pharisees' thinking. Why? Because it was a do, do, do faith. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. The question could have arisen because Jesus did his Matthew's feast and one wonders if the Matthew feast was on a fast day to make it even worse. They're thinking, here's the Pharisees, they're all fasting, you're out eating and making a pig of yourself. Why would you do this? So is this the day? Why is there the issue? The Pharisees had a religion of ritual, a religion of externals, a religion based on legal issues and laws, a religion of works, aimed at fostering a self-righteous behaviour. And this belief is diametrically opposed to Jesus. So the Pharisees on this side here, here's Jesus who says, my religion is based on inner relationship. It's about the heart. My relationship is about grace and God's gift to you through my death upon the cross. Mine is about faith not you trying to prove how faithful you are. So the massive difference, it's not a religion of works. It's us as Christians saying, this is what Jesus has done to forgive me. I have not earned my salvation. It's a free gift from God. We then have three illustrations by Jesus. And it represents saying, here is the new way, and here is the old way, and the two can't, they just can't meet. There's no compromise, there's no middle ground. Now the zealous Jews, they were fasting two days a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And when we go to the book of Hebrews, it talks about this old covenant mindset that they had. So they're in Hebrews 8 verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So there's a sense that there's a whole lot of Pharisee things that are not part of the church's life. Because what they were doing is wrong. Now the second question is, we know why the Pharisees are off the planet, but what about John the Baptist and his disciples? Now when John uh, is reflected on by Jesus, he says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 18. Now John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said about John he had a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And you can kind of sense that no matter which way you came, the Pharisees were just going to hate your guts. They hated John the Baptist, and he did godly things, and they hated Jesus because he's just too nice a guy. So then Jesus used these three illustrations. The first is that of a wedding guest. There in verse 19, Jesus said, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. So obviously the bridegroom represents Jesus being with his disciples. But verse 20 is one that we need to take word of. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away, which happened to Jesus on the day he died and went to heaven. 
And then they will fast in that day. So there's a sense of Jesus saying, my disciples don't fast now, but there will be a time in the future when they do fast. First illustration. Second illustration, that of cloth. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it and the new from the old and a worse tear is made. Then the third illustration is that of wine. Verse 22. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. New wine is for fresh wine skins. You can't get Jesus and put him into the Pharisees. You can't get Jesus and fit him into old world sacrificial system. You can't get Jesus and fit him into anything that was Jewish, their temple, their worship, everything under Jesus has changed. The concrete bricks and mortar of a temple is replaced by our hearts. The priests with their beautiful robes and their ornate of everything is replaced that you and I are now the priesthood of all believers. The forgiveness that they hungered for as Pharisees, not knowing if they'd ever get it, has been fully obtained by us as believers in Christ. So where do we find fasting in the Bible? Fasting was never a law, but it was regularly in response to hard times. So I've picked out a number of references from the Old Testament. And fasting, remember, it's voluntary. It's something that people did spontaneously in times regularly associated with grief. So in Ezra 8, verse 21, I will proclaim a fast that may humble ourselves before God. So there's a sense, when you fast, it is prayer and repentance and humbling. Then Ezra 9, 5, I rose from my fasting with my garments and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord and saying, Oh my God, I am ashamed and I blush, my God, for my iniquities have risen higher than our heads. Have you ever blushed because of your sin? Because that's how Ezra describes his fasting, his prayer and his repentance. Now we turn to the book of Nehemiah, there in chapter 1, verse 3. The remnant who had survived exile is in great trouble and great shame. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and the gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words... I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. And what does he do? I continued fasting and praying before God. So this sense of prayer and fasting are intertwined together in repentance. And in Nehemiah 9.9, it talks about a national confession of what happened. It says there, The people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. So you get dust on your heads, you've got old-fashioned sackcloth clothes. And the Israelites, they separated themselves from the foreigners. And what did they do? They stood before God and confessed their sins. God, forgive me for what I have done. Now it's interesting, verse 3. They stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord of God for a quarter of the day. So for a couple of hours there's Bible reading. And in response, we made confession and worship God. So there's a strong link between fasting and reading of scriptures. So what's another example of calamity? It's interesting, the book of Esther doesn't mention God, but uh, read the spiritual undertones of this part here in Esther 3.13. Letters were sent to all the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, 
to kill and to annihilate all Jews, young, old, women, children. What is Esther's response? Here we are in chapter 4, verse 3. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning by the people, and with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in ashes and sackcloth. So this real sense that fasting and repentance are tied closely together. And uh, Jeremiah is quite interesting. It has the same theme as uh, Nehemiah. Jeremiah 36.6 So you are to go on the day of fasting in the hearing of all people in the Lord's house and on the day where they fast, what do they do? You shall read the words of God from the scroll. So you and I would not have Bibles at home because they're too expensive. If we wanted to hear the Bible, we'd go to the synagogue or to the temple and hear the uh, scriptures being read out loud to us. So there's a sense that when you fast, go and hear and read the scriptures. Modern day, you and I fast, we put the scripture reading as a high priority. So what about New Testament? Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness. Why? To prepare himself for ministry. Where else does it turn up? In Luke 2.37, talks about the woman there who's at the temple, would not depart from the temple. What does she do? She's in the temple, she's worshipping, fasting, and praying day and night. So fasting was tied with that woman who's a widow who met Jesus there in Luke chapter 2. In the life of the early church, the church starts, Jesus has come back to life again, he's met with all his disciples, said, go to Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit pours down on them at the day of Pentecost. 120 people suddenly becomes a crowd of 3,000. And they're overwhelmed with how they will deal with them. And in Acts 13 it says this, Why we were worshipping the Lord and fasting? The Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So there's prayer and fasting tied into the mission experience of the church. So what did they do? Verse 3, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. Now the same thing turns up in the chapter later in Acts 14, verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, they fasted and prayed. If we add elders to our church, which we're hoping to do, would you spend the night beforehand fasting and saying, God, use them powerfully? Because that's what they did in the book of Acts. Our next section looks at practical advice based on our Old Testament reading that Jenny gave us from Isaiah 58. Now there's things that are positive, there's things that are negative, and then some common sense advice of what you should do. So what is positive? Uh, Isaiah 58 verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to the people their sins. So fasting and your sins and repentance are tied together. Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to untie the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Then verse 7. It is not to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them. Verse 11. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water. Then you shall take delight in the Lord. Those who fast, who repent, uh, repent, who confess, who pray, who read the scriptures and put God first, you will become a delight to the Lord. There's a link there. 
So that's the positive side. What about the negative? <clears throat> See, the big problem that Isaiah faced and Jesus faced with the Pharisees and even the followers of John the Baptist is they had made fasting a status symbol. Look how good I am. Look what I do. It was about them, not about God. So there in Isaiah 58 verse 3. Why have we fasted and you see it not? The people are saying, God, we're doing all these great things for you, but you're not seeing us. Why have we humbled ourselves and not taken knowledge of it? Were they really humbling themselves and saying to God, look how humble I am, God. You know the worst thing about being really humble? You can't tell anybody. Because as soon as you start telling people how humble you are, you're not humble. Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Self-centeredness is never part of the Christian walk. Humility, prayer, repentance, confession, saying, God, I want to do your will in my life. This is the core value that is being behind fasting. And then he gives us a practical response. Verse 5. Is such a fast that I choose? A day for the person to humble themselves. Is to bow your head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him. Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to God? What God wants more than anything else is us to repent. To confess. Say, God, I'm doing my will, not your will. Come into my life and guide my steps day by day. At the beginning of each day, you might start thinking to yourself, what will I do today? Will I be godly as I drive? Will I be godly in my conversations? I know I'm going to meet such and such at lunchtime. What words can I say that will encourage this person? What does fasting teach us? It's good to examine our motives. Why do we do what we do? Now, what is fasting? Not. It is not trying to manipulate God. It's not saying, God, look at how great I am. Look what I've done. Therefore, you need to do all these things for me. Fasting will not make God do something that he would normally not do otherwise. Fasting is about changing yourself to God's plan, not changing God to your plan. When we're deciding how to fast, it's crucially important to remember what fasting is about. It's about changing ourselves, not changing God. It's not about trying to convince God of something. It's to do his will. Now it's interesting, when Jesus talks about fasting in Matthew 6, 16, he says this, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, for their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father will see in secret, will reward you. So fasting can turn us towards God. It can help us to realign our focus. It can help us to say, I've had strength to deal with this issue here. God, that strength can you use for dealing with this more serious issue over there. Fasting without drawing people nearer to God. Should you fast? The Bible's clear. It's optional, not compulsory. But you may choose to fast. I fast often. And uh, I think part of mine is diet. So there's probably no godless value. But part of it is that I'm aware of needing God's strength because there's sometimes I'm saying, I'm really hungry now, wait another three hours. Because if I can wait three hours for food, then when sin comes to my life, I can say, wait for that sin as well. As I've learned self-control in one area, I learned self-control in others. 
So what do you need to do as a result of this morning's sermon? Yes, fasting is part of this topic, but also desiring God's will. Repenting, confessing, seeking Him always and saying, God, use me as your vessel. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, use us this week. Convict us by your Holy Spirit to confess our sins. Father, forgive us for the times that we're so self-satisfied with who we are that we cannot see the person that you want us to become. Father God, let us be holy as you are holy. Father, strip off us all things that hinder us in our walk with you. Amen.